Hey, what's happening, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Corner Table Talk. I'm your host, Brad Johnson, and we explore subjects related to food plus drink plus culture. As always, with questions or comments, and we love your questions and comments, you can reach me at brad at hostandbeamhospitality.com. For those of you that are new to this show, I want to let you know that there's a great segment that immediately follows our program. And uh, I host with uh, my dear friend, a sister, longtime close pal of mine, the Ambassador Shabazz. She is the eldest daughter of Dr. Betty Shabazz and Malcolm X. And she's listening in as we go along with each guest. And she provides a little insight as to the conversation and things she picked up on. And she also shares with us some of the cool stuff she's up to. So stick around afterwards for Ambassador Shabazz. Anybody who has lived in Los Angeles and loves music and quality programming, they're aware of KCRW, the radio station. At a time when traditional radio is increasingly challenged by streaming, KCRW is a listener-supported NPR station that also streams worldwide, so there's no excuse if you live somewhere else to not pick up on KCRW. It's musical on-air hosts like Novena Carmel, who happens to be Sly Stone's daughter, Anthony Valadez and Lit, among others, they play an eclectic mix of music that often can't be heard anywhere else. This is not an advertisement. I'm just telling you as a fan of the station, I love what they do. I've discovered so many artists and so much music there. From Kendrick Lamar to Benny Sings to Cleo Soul, Bob Dylan, Gil Scott Heron, name it, you'll hear them there. Plus a great mix of talk radio in the afternoon. Jennifer Farrow, the GM there, just does a fantastic job. And sometimes in LA, I just listen to KCRW all day long. So it was one of these mornings with Shazam at the ready that I was moving through the day and I heard a track by my guest today and I stopped and I moved closer to my portable JBL speaker to get a better listen. And I was really taken by the flow and the lyrics of what I was hearing. The track was titled, I Been. And joining me today is the artist who was new to me that day, Def Sound. Def is a Grammy Award considered contemporary hip-hop artist, producer, poet, and award-winning academic. I should also say a designer in some pretty cool clothes. Born and based in South Central Los Angeles. Def describes the music as a synthesis of hip-hop and his Afro- Latino roots using music and poetry as healing mechanisms, decorating time and space, because that is all we have left, end quote. I could have not made that one up. As an extra special treat today, my son Bryce, a platinum recording artist and songwriter, agreed to join me on the podcast in between tour dates. So together we will be speaking with Def about being a young artist, Los Angeles, life, art, and we'll just see where the conversation takes us with these two talented folks. And as always, Ambassador Shabazz right afterwards. So we got a fun little afternoon for us with that. Bryce, Def, what's happening? Yep. Hey. <laughs> Thank you all for having me. Let's get started. We kick things off with what I call our short order questions. Bryce and I will pop a few off at you. We'll alternate on those. And Bryce, why don't you take the first one? Yeah. What up, Def? I'm pumped to be here with you, man. I really am. I got questions for you because it's always nice to pick another artist's brain. First question that I always love to ask is what you've been listening to lately. And I know that's probably hard for you because your sound is very involving of different things. Oh, yeah. Wow. So what I do to keep up with what's going on is I have this ritual where every Friday I find 11 new songs that I like. I've heard that there's a study that most people stop looking for new music after 27 years old. Like you decided this is what I like. And so you either listen to the same thing or you find things that reinforce that. But that's most people, that's not everybody. To combat that within myself, I try to challenge myself to find 11 new things. That's a weekly thing for me. I've been going back and listening to Santi Gold, super dope. Absolutely. Just so slept on. Yeah, I was like, yo, I got to get back into her catalog. It's cool, though, because she's been a consistent thing to know about for a long time. Right? For sure. But it's there's these eras that have happened, the ebb and flow of 
the internet and things like that, where there's entire parts of people's catalogs that we just like, that was in MySpace days. And if you go back, there was so much fire that just really did happen. Been into Young Fathers. They're from Scotland. Really dope, really experimental. Rap Ferreira. That's one of the dopest lyricists to exist. He began a song by saying, I'm the type of slave that you buy when you need a new master. I could spell a spell backward and wrap it around myself, write it tight in front like a karate belt. Wow. Different. I feel like I just started a book and it's really good. <laughs> Rap Ferreira. That's all I can say. He's incredible. Of course, the new K-Dot. Come on. Like, Mr. Morale, Big Steppers, is, it opened a whole new portal for us. A few yeah. people walked in. A few people are still at the entrance. But they'll catch up. Dad, just so you know, that's the album that I was playing for you, the new Kendrick Lamar album, that song, Silent Hill. Bryce played that, and I, I like Kendrick, but I had not heard that. <laughs> he surprised me. Uh, he walked in the door. With, it was a trip, man. So I'm talking to him on the phone. It's a Sunday. I happen to be in Florida. He's in L.A., and I miss him. I hadn't seen him in a couple of months. We usually don't go that long. So he calls me like his regular father-son talk on Sunday. We're talking, I'm laying on the couch, and then all of a sudden, He's in the living room and I'm looking at the phone. I'm like, wait a minute. He, this is not FaceTime. This is real. He's standing next to me. But yeah, he played Kendrick for me on that. Oh yeah. That was, that was he's fun. missing one part of it. He thought somebody was breaking into the house. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because the door <laughs> opened and Prince Linda and I sitting on the couch. I'm like, what was his front door open? Yeah. She gives me like, I don't know. Look. And I'm like, oh man. So before we move from this question, Bryce, what are you listening to, man? Oh, I always have to look at my phone. You just listed them off so quickly, Dev. I was like, oh boy. I think every single day I played Silent Hill by Kendrick Lamar just for that second verse, the Kodak one. I have consistently tried to learn the words to it every single day and I'm almost there. But like you, man, I love the idea of just making it part of your job to find something new every week, at least a few things. I didn't know that statistic though. It's really interesting. Yeah. A couple of other cats I do want to shout out really quick. Salt is incredible. If y'all aren't into them. That, is that S-A-U-L-T? Yep. Salt? Yeah, I so, love it. So consistent. So classic. We're going to be sampling them in 10 years. Abla has an incredible mm -hmm. album. Little Sims has an incredible album. There's Athletic Progression. Uh, they're an instrumental group. Definitely check them out. And I think the last two people I want to shout out, I want to shout out Annabelle Friedman, and also Tulips. Those are two incredible artists that I'm also in a group with. It's like the super friends. We get together and it's this whole other vibe. It's interesting, Def, you mentioned Annabelle, and we're going to play a couple of tracks of yours, but I know one of the tracks that I love is Hope. I believe Annabelle is on Hope, correct? Yeah, that was actually the song that started the group. Okay, there you go. We better move on, you guys, because this is like a podcast in and of itself, and we're only <laughs> at question one. Right. So <laughs> let's roll. So, Def, tell me, what's the first thing that you drink in the morning? What's your morning beverage? Ooh, you got to go water. We're 80% water, so you got to tap into that first. I find that it gets the wheels moving, so hit them with the agua first, and then yerba mate, green, smoked. Okay. Bryce? Are you into juicing at all? You must know about gut health and all that. Oh, yeah. I only just started apple cider vinegar shot in the morning, they say, is to clear out your body first thing. Oh, yeah. We're trying to do it, man. It's not easy. <laughs> no, but I will say, usually I put apple cider vinegar in my food. Like when I'm seasoning mm -hmm. rice, I get that in there. I sneak it in other ways. It's a little aggressive, so I try to put it in the flavor palette in certain ways. Lemon, ginger, that's a good one. Usually when I'm feeling under the weather, but... I have started the ritual of just popping ginger, just cut it up fresh and just pop it in like a capsule or chew on it a little bit. It'll wake you up. That's for sure. I'll try it. <laughs> I'll try it. No, I was just thinking. Yeah, me too. I'm thinking, damn, I grew up on Tropicana orange juice, man. How far we come? <laughs> I hope you all live to be 250. So what about your favorite restaurant in LA? It's called Owlot. A-U and space L-A-C. Oh my gosh. I've been there. It's in downtown. My best friend friend brought me there. Are you vegan? I was uh, raised that way. I was raised that way. So from jump. No way. So you've never had red meat or in my twenties, I dabbled for a second before I really knew myself. I was taking, taking girls to the cheesecake factory, felt pressured 
to get a chicken Alfredo. Silly stuff. <laughs> Out of pocket. I just wasn't myself yet. So I tried it on and it definitely didn't fit. So that was like a two year thing. And then maybe I think cheese had an era. Cheese had a 10 year era in my life because it was just really hard when you were traveling and touring to be able to have vegan food. So it's like, okay, being a cheese burrito, I love the side cream, but my body really rebelled against that. It was one of those things where I said, okay, at this year, January 1st, I'm not doing that anymore. And I felt a hundred percent, thousand percent better. Yeah. The energy difference is noticeable pretty quickly. Vast. One of the lines that caught me deaf in I've been was the vegan ass. You said, yeah. I think it's a vegan ass whopper from finally. Burger King, right? Yeah, finally. <laughs> oh, it's, it's just kind of wild. Ridiculous. So Bryce, where are you eating? And you don't have to say Post and Beam <laughs> in Baldwin Hills on Santa Rosalia. You don't have to mention Post and Beam, man, it's your favorite spot. No, go ahead. Where are you eating now, Bryce? Post and Beam. It's, it's in Baldwin Hills. So I live right in the middle of Hollywood now, man. And as someone that grew up in LA, you know, that sometimes all of a sudden you're in an area that just becomes a hot spot out of nowhere. You would never expect it. Yep. And during the pandemic, when I moved into Hollywood and it was just homeless people galore and crime everywhere, there was nothing. It was completely barren. And in the last six months, two of the most, I guess you could say, pop-in restaurants have come up five minutes from my house. And one of them is called Mother Wolf. It's an Italian spot. I went and tried it last week just because it is a hot spot and you feel like a hipster trying like the hot spot, but it is good. It's really fire. So Mother Wolf, I would definitely suggest. For something a little less like bougie. Have you had Jitlada? Jitlada, nah. So it's a, technically it's Michelin. I don't know how that works. It's a, just a really authentic Thai food place. They have vegan options too, but it's in the cut. And if you, I would definitely try that. Oh, I'm gonna look that up. Cause my, my go-to yeah. ice spot is Bulan over there in Sunset Junction, like on that side. I'm trying not to have my phone, but I really want yeah, to write yeah, down yeah, all these yeah, yeah. artists and restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> so both of you should know Michelin is like the guide for fine dining. In the last two years or so, they've relaxed their standards to include more casual places because it used to be just tablecloth restaurants, but they're like, no, you can find a great Vietnamese place in the corner of a mall in Silver Lake or Mississippi for Vietnamese. It could be anything. So they've relaxed their standards. But anyway, we got to move on. So I'm going to pose the next couple of questions to both of you. Def, you first. Where's your favorite place to write? I like to write in motion. So a lot of times I'm driving and I have it on repeat. I've also been practicing not writing things down. And so it's like my voice record is always there. I love to write in my head while in motion, typically the car is where a lot of ideas happen. Love that. Bryce, how about you? Same here. There is some science to that too. When they do psychotherapy, like intensive psychotherapy, sometimes they have you walk around the room while you're talking about things because it opens up that section of your brain the same way that driving and writing does. So there is something really important to actually doing that. Even when you get up, when you're in the studio and you start walking around, you come up with new ideas. So I'm the same way, man. It, in the car is where I get the most done. If I'm sitting down and I'm in the studio and I'm just looking at the same environment, especially if there's no windows, I don't know how you are in a studio, but I can't do that every day. Not see the sun go down and the moon come up while I'm trying to have life in motion. Yeah. All right. So last one of these, a few first, what are you reading? Ooh, that's a great question. In the Black Fantastic, I've been reading this book. It's an art book, but it's a lot deeper than that. It's the first book I've seen that talks about Black art in a way that it doesn't lump everything together with Afrofuturism. And I feel like a lot of Black creativity is lumped in there when it's advanced. I think any Black person who's creating during this time is already Afrofuturism. So where are those delineations? What about hoodoo? What about people that are Afro astronauts? What about people that are getting into summoning of spirits? And then what are those spirits? It really gets super, super detailed into the black 
aesthetics a little further than space is the place. So I really enjoyed that. And also a narrative novel that I would suggest to anyone is Long Division by Kiese Lehman. It's a book that you can read one way. And then in the middle of the book, you have to flip it over and start from another beginning. It's really good. I would suggest that. Uh, two, two good ones. Bryce, how about you? Iceberg Slim lately. I know I told you a couple months ago, dad, that I had read Mama Black Widow, which is arguably his darkest book. I don't know if you know of him, but he was from the South side of Chicago. He grew up really poor when the great migration happened. He speaks from the point of view of he was a pimp before he became a full-time writer. So he speaks of things on a really down and dirty level about what that time period was like for black Americans. And I can't get enough of his writing. It's inspired things in a whole different way. Yeah, I love that from both of you. All right, we are moving into the, uh, the program here. That was fantastic. I feel like we could do a whole segment of just short order questions with both of you. But let's jump. So I want to write down everything you just said. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So many tidbits there from both of you. Thank you. So, Def, a quick recap of how I came to uh, connect with you. As I mentioned, listening to KCRW, I felt like I was hearing something different in where poetry and spoken word were meeting hip-hop and just having spent the last 30 years in L.A. and South Los Angeles. And we're going to talk about the origin oh, wow. of yep. South Los Angeles versus South Central L.A. We'll get into that. But so much of what you touched on just resonated with me. And uh, as I mentioned, I had to Shazam it. And then I sent it as I often do to my son. I sent it to two people. I sent it to Bryce and I sent it to my buddy, Donnie Jackson, because Donnie's a poet. And I was like, damn, Donnie would love this. Donnie hits me back in 30 seconds. He's like, man, who, that's Def. That's my friend. That's my man. You know, I love Def. Yeah. I said, really? He said, man, I know him. Let me hook you up. So we met each other, you and I, through Donnie. And it was just like crazy that he would know you. I immediately said, man, I just want to get you on the show. I thought it would just be really interesting and a great opportunity. But before we go any further, I, Donnie's been doing poetry around L.A. Is that how you two know one another? Yeah, from the Poetry Lounge. Donnie always had such presence and conviction when he was speaking. And the way he would weave things together, I always looked to his presence when he's on stage. And we would always out front, just greet each other, mad respect. And we used to go to dinner after the show and all of that. So it was fam. It is fam. Yeah. Donnie is a good cat. Bryce, you've met him a number of times, but yeah, I, I really appreciate him connecting me with you. I think it's important to mention first that anybody who listens to this should also watch the music video because there is a peaceful atmosphere about it while and it still provides this kind of perfect layer for you to listen to the lyrics and really appreciate them but the video watching that i swore i'd never heard something that felt like poetry but was actually listenable i've been i've been everywhere i've been at home i've been scattered i've been looking in mirrors and now i know i'm the answer i've been reading in classes i've been out here Living brand new chapters, I've been living in living rooms, I've been invisible, I've been seen, I've been deaf, and sometimes I've even been listened to, I've been letting go of where my letters go, making moments more collectible, I've been way less accessible, I've been working on my chair pose, I've been speaking in more codes, I've been finding lies in their libraries, reparations is still owed, and I've been Letting my blessings in. I've been 12th Ave in Jefferson. I've been Inglewood, Pomona, and Slauson. I've been Crenshaw, South Central, and Compton. I've been gang affiliated and conscious. And my reality banging was never an option, but those was my references and those were my settings. Is I've been in all these places of reverence. I've been and my life is just living evidence. I've been. Shy town, south side, everywhere my mother was watered. I've been wanting to go to Panama, and that's the soil of my father. I've been knowing it's such a dirty game. I can't promise I ain't coming out spotless. I know all of they gossip. I've been in relationships, and most of them toxic, to the point 
where you couldn't wash off the toxins. I've been thirsty, I've been water, I've been plant-based my whole life, and they finally dropped a vegan-ass Whopper. I've been. I've been. At war with my demons, I got new grades every day. I see my stress been increasing. I've been stuck on the deep end. I've been joining book clubs. No name, got your boy reading. I've been unlearning, I've been searching, I've been flexing, I've been flexible, I've been taking hella days to reply to a text from you. I'm sorry. I've been honest. I've had my heart broken like a promise. I've been decolonizing my closet. I've been intentional with my dollars. I've been, I've been learning boundaries. I've been done with jobs, paying hourly. I've been thinking a lot more while I'm showering. I've been putting my 10,000 hours in. I've been thinking about ownership. I've been thinking about how, nah, I don't really think I want this shit. I've been thinking about meaning. I've been thinking about us. I've been thinking about freedom. I've been thinking about loyalty. I've been loving more openly. I've been collecting more royalties. I've been flourishing whether or not you notice me. I've been doing more paperwork, you know, signing more signatures. I've been seeing how people work. I've been seeing my people hurt. I've been, I've been everywhere. Been everywhere. I've been doing hella things, repressing hella shit. I've been privileged. I've been generous. I've been dodging hella sentences. I've been running hella streets and hella businesses. I've been wearing everyone's version of what they vision is. And it doesn't fit. And it doesn't fit. I've been outside of your algorithm. I've been deconstructing the whole system. I dunk on them. I don't diss them. I've been so different, my soul different. So different, my soul different. I've been so different, my soul's different. I've been. It's an interesting thing. Just speaking about the visual, we were very patient about it. It was shot all over about three or four months. We were still filling it out as far as COVID and stuff like that. It was just me and one director and we just drove around and I wrote the whole essay about like why this needs to happen as far as I want the landscape to be the main star and center that. And I'm like in the background because the city is this living thing and I want to capture the landscape because it's changing right now. So. I very much wanted to make this a capsule of time for South Central. And I hope that came through. I think it absolutely comes through, man. And it stands out in what you just said. That there's no narcissism involved, which unfortunately I'm not used to seeing in music videos where the artist isn't just at the forefront of everything. Yeah. Let's make that jarring is the decentering. I want that. I want to try stuff like that. I'm not going to be able to afford the shocking thing. So we got to get creative with it. So that's where I was coming from. It's like, what if just no frills? Do you think the pandemic influenced just changed the way that you write music and you're influenced in it? A hundred thousand percent. It changed everything about me. It changed how I approached music. It changed how I looked at community. That song existed before this version. of My friend introduced me to a producer named Nickel Plate, who's really gifted. And he was like, you and Nick need to work. And people are like, y'all, I don't know if you've been through this, Bryce, but people are like, you got to know this person and y'all need to work. And so I said, sure. I pull up and I did three songs that session. And I wasn't, there was like a separate boot room. And my homie that invited me, Mike Nova, he's like my best friend and my barber, everything. I had three full songs in five hours. So one of the joints was something part of IB. It was a pattern that I was using, but it wasn't this whole piece that you hear now. So I liked it and I just asked him to change the drums. I was like, yo, because there was a live drummer and I was like, I want some 808s to rock on this. He made it into a whole big thing. and. I haven't talked about this ever. Still, shout out to who? 
because look at it now. So anyways, he basically said he didn't want to do the song with me anymore. And I said, all right, cool. That was in 2019. It was like, hey, that was a great session. Mad respect. And as time moved on, pandemic happened. We were supposed to go on tour to South by Southwest. We had shows in Louisiana. It was a lot of stuff about to happen. When the pandemic hit, it was a big pause for us. And we stayed in contact. And one of my friends, Kenny Zhao, who produced this track, I Ben, sent me some music. And he had a different poem that I had done over that track. I said, Kenny, just send me the track. Let me try something. He had a whole nother poem called, I don't even know what the poem is called, but he sent me that. And I said, I think the track is really dope, but what if I responded to it live and you didn't just like sample? So I went in and I took part of that old song I did and put it in this new atmosphere and responded to the roads. For me, I felt that this song was an experiment in letting people just hear me and not have to do all this gymnastics with drums and all the stuff. Let's strip it back and we might stand out by being completely anti and just try this thing. It was really an experiment and I haven't put out any other songs from this project yet. And I'm just letting people marinate with it and chill. And I think that's really important is to have more patience, even in a time that is so fast paced. Absolutely, man. And even just having Frankenstein something together like that, it had no choice but to end up being something so unique that it got people's attention. I feel that I tried to do a thing for a little while where I would only let a beat have three things going on, drums, bass line, and one other element. And just mm -hmm. right over that, even if you just start on one instrument, Rhodes, guitar, 90% of the time, I find that you actually end up saying more, saying more of what's worth being heard. So that's interesting, man. I'm not surprised it worked. It's really impactful. Somebody who I think is a famous minimalist, Pharrell Williams. It's not a lot going on and everything's really dry too. When you listen to those tracks and it's, it's maybe five elements tops on the whole song. I think there is an art, like really understanding that people can only see so many things at one time. I appreciate both of you for the ability to understand that about what you're trying to do and have the voice and the presence to speak up and make sure that you keep it clean that way. I'm thinking of a pianist who I found 10 years ago, we used to have her play at Post and Beam. Japanese woman, she's all of five foot one and she is bad. She shocks people on the piano. She is just crazy. So she puts out her first album and it's messy. You can hardly hear the piano from the horns and everything else. And I was like, man, nobody stood up for her or she got somehow got run over, but you want to hear the piano. And it's the last thing that you hear. And I think of people like Bill Withers, who I love and the simplicity of that. You don't want stuff in the way. So kudos to you both. So Depp, you folks are from Belize and Panama. You were born in South Central LA. So when did South Central become South LA and what borders define it now? I still think it's South Central. I think that things changed when the gentrification dollars came through and it was like, we're building this, this train situation and we got to clean it up because there's a film South Central and there's a whole history there, but I think that's why it's so important to continue telling the story. And before that, Tongva land, I entered the chat that South Central, but there's definitely indigenous folks and a whole history that predates all of us trying to figure it out here and that I want to show respect to. Lupe Fiasco brought up something that was really interesting that I want to table and see what y'all think. <laughs> but when talking about Juneteenth, he was asked what he thinks about it. And he was like, things aren't remembered until there's money, money will keep it remembered. So why is Juneteenth being celebrated? It's because they have now figured out a way to monetize the history. So now we have to do battle with, do we want it remembered or do we want to remember? So those are two different things. So I think that it will be remembered how it is paid for in a really weird way. So. I remember it at South Central and until somebody decides to monetize it, it will be forgotten. And so how much do we want to exchange our history? It's a very interesting thing to think about. What borders it for me? I feel it's so weird because you can definitely feel it. 
when you enter South Central. <laughs> you get off that freeway, off the 10, you can get off at Arlington, you can get off over there on Bernie, you can get off Crenshaw. And these are the, I think it like stops when you're on the 10, I think it stops after La Brea. Like when you get off at Washington, that's Cobra City. You know what I mean? That's not, <laughs> you know the vibes. So Mid-City, shout out Mid-City. There's a sweet grin. Yeah. It's a lot of sideways fences. And then there's the 110. There's that side of it too. And yeah, I think it's definitely a feel. I grew up off of the 110 South and the 10 West. I was in my joints. Been there so many times, written so many songs there. Have you gone back to where your parents are from? Have you gone back to Belize or Panama? I've been to Belize once when I was really little, a kid, about four or five. So I haven't been there as like an adult. And Panama, I haven't been. I'm going next month, actually. So that'll no be way. the first time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be there for my birthday and really celebrate and, and turn up on the soil, see what it's talking about. I'll be so interested to see how your influences shine differently in that kind of environment. Oh, I'm so curious to see what I have to write outside of a U.S. context. I think it's, it's this Black experience. And I realized that my experience from Caribbean parents was different. There's a different set of luggage that I come with and a different way of being that I don't subscribe to exactly. I'm really curious to see what a change of scenery will do. And I'll be back late September. So it's going to be a little while. An interesting connecting point here. Ambassador Shabazz, Linda and I were in Belize in December of 2019, just before the pandemic. And Ambassador Shabazz, she's been the ambassador at large to Belize. She took us all over the place, the Mayan chocolate and all these incredible vendors. She took us to one of the oldest drum makers in Belize. And it's a gentleman, I believe was 90 years old and he sits there all day and his daughter is now making these beautiful drums. And so we bought one and brought it back for Bryce. And I know he has it in his studio. So maybe if you two ever get together. I got it right here. That's so ill. Yeah, the Belizean drum. And I think there's something there to draw from. I want to go back because you brought up some really important points. And as the generation preceding you both here, as we're moving on and we're learning a lot from you both, from the young folks. We did what we did. Our parents did what they did. And we had our eye on a certain ball. Our parents had their eye on civil rights, getting us a seat on the bus and a seat in the classroom. And we gladly took that seat on the bus and gladly took that seat in the classroom and gladly took that job and opened businesses. And it wasn't party all the time, but we didn't have to fight a war. We didn't have to go to war. We didn't have to fight for civil rights. We didn't get shot at and dogs fighting at us. So we had a different life. You all are having a different life. And one of the things that I am often concerned about, and I've talked to Bryce about this, I, I don't have an answer, but I think it is in your generation's hands to uh, at least articulate and document, write about, sing about, film. Because as our cultures merge more, that's inevitable. Things are going to happen. Money determines a lot. And gentrification is just money. Yes, there are people who are ill-intended that displace people with a motive, but most of the time, it's money. Land becomes more valuable. People with the money move in. People that have less money have to move out because they can't afford to stay. Taxes go up, blah, blah, blah. But it's so important as our culture starts to move to other places and migrate to other places that you all document this, write about it, sing about it, write poetry about it, make the records clear, because that's what we're going to have. Sorry, just to add on that, also to reinvest in the areas that we grew up and that our culture is held in. Absolutely. Def, I'm curious, man, what was the music played around your household with your parents? What were they playing that you remember as an early influence for you? Oh, Take Six. Take Six was running it, the Sheared Sisters. So it was gospel. It was straight up gospel. My parents didn't allow secular music at the crib at all. And so it was something I had to search for. It was something I had to really do my homework on. And so I think like growing up, it was all gospel in the crib. You know, BB and CC Winans, that was going up. So it was just like a soulful house. And I think just hearing a lot of harmonies, my peers were in the choir. So every Friday night, that was choir rehearsal. So really, the voice was very centered in my home. 
Bryce, I'm almost embarrassed to admit I had you in the car at the top down listening to oh, Nas. Yeah. Don't Barry be embarrassed Hayes. about that. Exactly. But your mom was playing Disney <laughs> yeah. tunes. Yeah. I, I guess there was some yeah, down. Like, what about yeah. you, man? What well, do you remember, Bryce? I'm, I remember <laughs> Music Soul Child. Always listening to Music Soul Child in the car. I remember my mom with the Allman Brothers and Earth, Wind & Fire. A lot of feel-good music. I was actually going to ask you, Def, if you ever talked to your parents about why that was, that they were so specific about what you were allowed to play in the house. Oh, it goes without asking. It's all about their deep beliefs, deep, being deeply religious, being Seventh-day Adventist. They believed that music was a powerful tool. And so whatever you're going to put inside of your mind, they really believe that the inputs are real. I'll just say a quote. My dad is saying, you are in the world, but not of the world. Shout out to whatever you believe in. But their whole thing was just that the inputs in your mind, you got to be precious about that. For me, I, I sought out hip hop from friends. I used to dub over their tapes, over the gospel tapes. Hey, that one just disappeared. But I held those moments really precious that I could listen to hip hop, hip hop sacred to me. It wasn't casual. I had to find time in my own way in hide that I even created music. So it was a very deep thing for me. I feel like rappers are the philosophers of our time. They hold the wisdoms. Like when we use captions and stuff like that you're quoting a lot of rap lyrics it's, these are the things that are talking this is the language of the now but yeah i hold it in a sacred place right. because i had to work for it interesting all right man i think me and everybody else want to hear more of your music is there a specific song that you hold most dear to you you want to play us yeah absolutely if there was a song that is a thesis i would say it's 12th ab and jefferson and that puts us right back in south central so that song to me that's the auto bio actual yeah. right there. The streets where they grew is sad, mirrored scenes from Miramax. I wasn't banging that. I wasn't banging gats. This is not glorified. I wasn't interested. This is pre-gentrified. I was an instrument. Couldn't be sensitive. This my antithesis. Picture this living conditions. This is photosynthesis. My memory photogenic. This 12th Avenue Jefferson. That was my innocence. That's the beginning of this was my genesis. Grounded by Dorsey and Crenshaw. Wrote with my pen saw. Wrote where we came from. Can't take my skin off. My skin is in the trend. Nah, now this ain't for show, fam. Now this ain't a spin off. Nah. And this is what I'm born with Birth with a birthright Reverse the verse like Now this ain't my first life This feeling is good like Raps at the good life This feeling is good like Melanin and sunlight Yeah Bryce and I were talking about your clothing line and Bryce is doing some stuff with his clothes. Bryce, I'll let you take that. Certainly. Yeah, man. He sent me your website for your clothing brand. It's super cool. It's right up my alley. It feels original, but I just want to know what your influence behind it was. Yeah. Thank the hands studio. That's, that's the vibe. This was my first time really going into cut and sew and having the ability to hire sewers to be able to buy the fabric that I love, to really go in on a piece of clothing that isn't just printed on. So for me, thank the hands is what we say before we eat, before we break bread, before we go off is, yeah, we got to thank the hands that prepared it. And so it's a lot of hands that came before us. So I wanted to just have a clothing line that was all about gratitude, that just centers gratitude. I'm wearing one of the joints right now and I lined it so it's like a chain and it looks like thank the hands, but it's like, you got to play with the stuff. I want to look at clothing when I'm using prints and it's not just fabric. And I also wanted to do a lot of things that have to do with just silhouettes being strong enough on their own. Timeless clothing. Like I don't want us to buy more clothes. It's just buy these pants. You can wear them forever. That's the whole vibe. And so all of our pants are always drawstrings because you change and you fluctuate. And so I wanted to really bring at least that tinge of sustainability to it. I think of when I do princess tattoos, like where would I get this tatted? And I like print black. That's so fun. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's anything that I would want to wear on a shirt. It's something that I can see on my body and I have a lot of random ones, but that is how it comes. Like all, I made the last merch, this funny little tattoo that I have on my arm. 
and it does feel really like it's partying. Yeah. Yep. It's the best. Uh, and Bryce, you've been selling instead of accumulating and just having an overflowing closet, you've been making the stuff that you've worn, this one of a kind stuff available. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you use Depop ever, but I, that's what I use just because it still feels like a platform that makes it easy for artists to just do what they want to do. I have so much stuff accumulated as I'm sure you do. I don't only want people who consider themselves high fashion to be able to wear stuff. So I'll drop the prices like crazy and I'll just sell it to fans and they go crazy over it. And then they could wear it to shows. And even though it's not my brand, they still, it's part of me. They saw it on stage. They saw it in an interview, something like that. And then they just get to be part of it that way. Definitely. I got to get on Depop. It's just a matter of literally uploading the stuff. I'm like, just got to do that. It is, bro. It, it takes forever. I'm not even going to lie. It takes forever. Yeah. But what you're doing is great. I'm sure. I don't know if you paint, but it's this all kinds of art at least give you the opportunity for one moment to focus on one thing, clear your mind of everything else around you and just focus on that one breaststroke or sewing that one piece the right way. So I'm asking, but I imagine that is part of it too. It's, there's an artistry to even fashion, obviously. Oh, definitely. Another way of expressing oneself without saying a word. So the music industry over time has had its own reputation, which as it has evolved along with the way that music gets heard. And I'm curious, Def and Bryce, Def, you first, what's the biggest challenge that you face these days as an artist? I know it's a lot easier to have music heard, but there's a lot more music to be heard. And representation has always been questionable and artists, of course, have been taken advantage of in the past, but I'm curious and then two part question. So that first, and then how did it feel to hear your song play on KCRW? Yeah. Okay. Could you rephrase the first question? Sure. So your biggest challenge, again, as the music industry has evolved and it's easier, you can sit at home and make tracks and put it on the internet and have it heard, but still there's a lot more music out there. So I'm curious where in that is a challenge for you and how about management? Are you well represented? Do you feel good about the people that you're working with? Obviously, I don't want you to say anything bad about the people you're working with, but do you feel like you've gotten good guidance? Oh yeah, I definitely have good guidance. So first advice, get you a lawyer, get that kind of guidance. I am self-managing right now and I find that it is challenging. Absolutely. But I think the biggest challenge, honestly, is money. If you're trying to make a lot of money, music might not be the thing you should do. I think you should do something else that pays your bills and make music because you love to do that. I think you should, for me, it's like the way that streaming works does not work for artists. So for me, I'm expressing myself and I'm making what I want to hear. And when money comes, like, it's really wild. Like I had a placement with Grownish this past season and that was awesome. It wasn't something I did particular, like I want to get it on TV. I made what I love and I have no regrets. That's really how I approach it is. I think Lupe said something. What's the difference between a album and a life insurance policy, Spotify. And it's an interesting thing to be like, these are the things I'm leaving the world. This is this other thing. This is something that isn't just about money for me. And therefore I can transcend actually because I'm not really worried about that. I think it's challenging to break between a independent artist and a label. And I'm not against labels at all. I think you just gotta know what you signed for, understand that it's a bank and it's gotta pay that stuff back. It's a loan, basically. So either you figure out how you wanna do that dance, but hearing things on KCRW, to me, that's the place that I grew up listening to music. My dad was driving me to school, bumping KCRW and NPR. So to me, it's so full circle. And I'm so thankful to every single DJ who plays my music because to find my music, you're already dope. Like you, you're already on some really fire stuff the fact because it's not in your face so you're taking a risk that i applaud you for to recognize something that isn't sold to you but is presented in a way with integrity thank you thank you 
And I appreciate that. And I didn't mention Garth Trinidad because he's no longer on the air, but that was my guy, man. That was when I first heard, right? Shout out Uncle Garth. Uh. When I first heard Garth on the air, man, I was like, what? Oh, man, there's no station that I've heard anywhere like this. So, Bryce, what's your spin on any of that? The experiences you have had as an artist, you're with a major label, a little different than where deaf is, nothing wrong or right about either, but what's your spin on it? I think it was different before the pandemic. I'll start there. I think things have really shifted in the last year where even when I was going to radio stations, I put out a song independently, and which is the one that ended up getting me signed. And labels were still the leaders of new music. They had to be music fans had to be people that were willing to take a risk on a new artist, a new song, putting it out there, putting money into it, and then getting their investment return. Now it's shifted. Me and my dad were just talking about this last week because he saw I was trying to do some TikTok stuff. And I'm not necessarily the kind of person that wants to be out there in the forefront all the time. I think it's forced a lot of artists to be extroverts when so many of us aren't. And now labels too, since they're following TikTok, they're not leading this anymore. It doesn't feel like music lovers are handling what gets played for the masses. It just sounds like they're following a trend like a gold rush. Before the pandemic, I got to see going to the radio stations that these guys were music fans. They were nerds about it. They loved finding new stuff. They would love deaf sounds music and they would love bringing you in to talk to you. And then... Money starts running short. Nobody's doing tours. People start cutting on the internet. Songs blow up just from this, just from a moment that has nothing really to do with the song. And it's a little different. It's hard to navigate now. It's hard for me to navigate. I will say that I think the thing about the internet that I have understood is that all of these algorithms can be bought and you can find your way to the top of the thing because someone has invested in that ad. It's all ad space. So it's either it's something really absurd or you've bought ads. I just understand that there are certain artists that I know that I can't do music with because they have a bank and I don't. So it has to look like a moves, even if we love each other. There's mad sign artists that I eat dinner with and they can't work with me. Not because they don't like it or they know I'm, I'm skilled. It's you don't have a bank backing. So it's this kind of clout thing. And either you can choose to go outside of the algorithm and uplift an artist. Dallas Sign tweeted about I being. There's no reason for him to do that. He just reached outside his algorithm and did that because he really liked it. I would love for us as artists to not perpetuate the divisions that the system has put on us. hundred percent, man. I get that everybody's trying to sell something, but as artists, that's what you're supposed to be doing is taking those chances and making authentic music, regardless of who it's with or what they can bring numbers wise. So it is weird. That's what I guess I'm having trouble with the TikTok stuff specifically is that I don't really understand what people's motivation are to be artists and to write good music when really all, it seems like they're just trying to chase a moment more than create something timeless. Like for years, all the music that we just mentioned, that was the motivation. You make what's authentic to you and you make it as good as you can. And then people will notice instead of having to make it go along with also being shocking or also being trendy in some weird way or be able to do some stupid dance to it. I don't know. I don't really get it either. The good thing is when there are ways that you can, my label knows that I will work with whoever I want to work with. Like I'm going to do it. And, and then maybe another song, if you're good at going back and forth, yeah, they get one and you get one. It's the same thing as when I watch Entourage from way back just to motivate myself. And the actor is, I want to do this indie film that there's not much budget for, but it's great. And then the agent's cool. You're only going to be doing those unless you also do Aquaman. I don't know if you saw the Kevin Hart interview with Jay-Z recently. No, I haven't. Yeah, Jay-Z doesn't charge for features. Hasn't charged for features in 20 years. Gosh. Because who can afford Jay-Z? Nobody. 
<laughs> so it's just relationships. Yeah. I think when you get to a certain point, that is obviously easier to do. You're not taking a risk anymore. Most artists want to get to that point. Drake does it pretty well, right? He grabs people that you've never heard of outside of people really deep in the communities where those rappers come from and elevates them. But he's not taking a risk anymore. No. And I will say that relevancy is a currency. So in order to stay relevant in those communities, he has to now learn a style from that person. McConan, all them cats, little baby, he takes their style and gets on their thing. And so now he has now a new style in a new community that likes his music. The thing about hip hop now is that, all right, back in the day, you had to have a style. You couldn't just take someone's style and like, their ad libs and their whole persona. Now it's people just are taking from each other and that's cool and all, but also understand you got to shout them out. You can't tell the difference sometimes. Yeah, I know. I don't think people are dumb. I don't think people are stupid. And so I think a lot of artists approach their art as if the audience is stupid. And I try to approach my art like the audience is me. So I try to impress myself and Therefore, the art is different. <laughs> you nailed it. I've been saying in interviews for years that I always would rather assume the integrity of people who are listening to my music than dumb it down. Yeah. And see what happens. This predates both of you, but Def, to, to your point, I remember Cool Mo D has a line to, in his famous rap battle with LL Cool J. You took my style, I'm taking it back. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to comment on who ultimately won that battle, but Cool Modi had mad respect around the way. And uh, I love the way that this just flowed with you two. And before I move on, Jeff, you also brought up something really important that I'm so happy to know. I know this was the case with Bryce, and I'm happy to hear this is the case with you. Years ago, Norm Nixon and I, that XLA Laker, we both, we managed TLC. We took over their management when they were in debt and had just run up, you know, 12 million album sales and they should have been rich forever. And between the three girls, they split a million two wow. off of almost 90 million in album sales. And the term that no one knew then that, or at least the, the three of them didn't know because there was collusion and other stuff going on, but was recoupable expense. They did not understand the definition of recoupable expense and ran up bills. And although there were other things going on, that wasn't the only reason they ended up without any money. But to not understand the definition of recoupable expense has done a lot of artists severe disservice. So glad young folks are, are way more enlightened these days. Winding down here, and this has been just super cool. I think the two of you, there's just so much to be gained listening to both of you. But I wanted to pose a question. My son and I get to talk about this, but not in this context. Jeff, I'll start with you. What worries you most about the state of things in the world these days? What worries me the most? Two things, a lot of things, but two things I'll talk about are a lack of care. I think we're so numb to each other and to each other's plight. And we're so over overstimulated that it feels like being able to be present for each other. I don't even think we ask the right questions of each other. So I think care is one thing. Then also thinking we have no impact in thinking that time like this thing is just going to continue going and we're all going to be fine. It doesn't really matter that the ice caps are molting. It doesn't really, it's this thing where it's like we have, we do have control. Unfortunately, like the idea of a government is that a government is there to take care of the people. And I think it's pretty obvious that the U.S. colonial occupation was not caring about the people and the people need to overthrow the thing because isn't that its purpose? Its purpose is to take care and the care is not there. Kids are straight up getting shot at school. Safety is an illusion. And so I just really feel like we have to care about one another and create systems together that actually take care and protect each other and not look for a third party to do it. Yeah. So care and knowing that we have an impact today, I think is really important. Yeah. I have to agree with you, man. I think 
the lack of empathy, especially here for your fellow man and neighbor, it's almost not even emphasized. It's not held dear anymore. That used to be a big part of them, looking out for each other and being on the same team. And doesn't feel like, it feels like every man for himself, which is a scary thing in a civilization. The internet has just made it harder. As great as it is that we have all this immediate access to more information on a regular basis, it also gets so muddied that people don't even know what they're arguing in favor of, which separates us even more. People get the news from only so many sources and other people don't trust that news. So they can't agree on even what the problems are and how severe they are. Everyone's got a motivation, even people in government. I get why people feel like it's every man for himself. We live in LA and we've seen in the last three years, it become a different city in a lot of ways. Maybe not so much in South Central, I don't know. It's definitely getting harder to stay positive. And I know when people's cup is overflowing, that's when they feel more willing to go help other people and they want other people to feel how they feel. And it was why I started writing music. Like it helped me feel better. And then the songs that I wrote made other people feel better and bring them into this place. I think the lack of camaraderie in general, you know, people, there's like a level of decency that they're just missing between everybody that I miss from when I was growing up, or I felt like the illusion of it when I was growing up. It's a weird time for artists, for sure. I will add on to say that if we don't care, there is no cup to run it though. There will be no cup. I believe that the pandemic was a point, was a call out, was a call in to everybody to reassess how we're doing this. And if we don't, more things are going to keep happening. We literally have to change, like how we socialize, what we think is success. We have to question our desires at this. If you want to keep doing that, that the earth is saying, no, bro, stop doing that. And then now we have monkeypox. And it's like, fam, like <laughs> we just have to really, I miss quarantine. We need to shut it down. Shut it down again. Y'all didn't learn y'all lesson. Go back. I'm so sorry. With all due respect, a lot of people didn't have the opportunity to learn a lesson they're trying to get by. I know. And, I, and I'm saying the whole system that makes it so we have houseless people while we have housing, that has to be re redone because you should have a place to, you should have a place to quarantine. We have the resources, what I'm saying. We have the resources and they're not distributed even. That's what race is about. It's like race is so that we can figure out who gets and who don't. It's not even, it's not real. It's a construct. So it's like, they've decided these people don't get stuff because of your skin tone and that you're a descendant of a slave. Even Octavia said, like in the book, it's the three-part book, Lilith's Brew, the aliens came to talk to uh, humans or they saved a few humans. And they're like, the biggest problem with human beings is this conflict between hyperintelligence, you have so much intelligence, hierarchical thinking, those two things don't go together. That's our problem is hierarchical thinking. The fact that there's someone below you and there's a person below me and that we don't see women as equal, that's our problem because that's how we organize the wealth. Clearly, we are not going to settle all of this today, but what I am really encouraged by is the heady discussion that you two engage in. And look, my generation, as I've said, we had a role, right? We did what we've done and we've opened some doors and left some others, unfortunately, a little too open. Maybe there was more that we should have done, but preceding generation, my father's generation was you do what you do because I told you to <laughs> at least. Our generation, we're conversing with you now on our way into the next stage of life. So there's a higher level of communication going on. We now understand the connection between the body and the mind and what your mind is doing, your body reacts to, and you've got to control that trauma so that it doesn't turn into a constant state of fight or flight. You've got to control this information as it flows to you because you have that choice, what to listen to. And as you make those choices, algorithms tune in to that and send you more of what it thinks you want. So you have some challenges, but I have to say I'm really encouraged. No question. You two represent young folks that are more than capable. You've got the brains and the ability to articulate and speak to a wide audience. Thank you for, for today. I'm really grateful to both of you for joining.
Oh yeah. I want to say something real quick. I forget where this quote is from, but it takes three generations to make an artist. And that's creating an environment to where someone has the ability to think in question. And you gotta have the elders that create that groundwork that create even that level of amount of time for you to sit and think and not be like at the grindstone. So I'm appreciative of the generations that have put in the work, my mother, my father, who worked places and things that are just like, wow, I can't even fathom. So I want to give thanks to that. And I'm just passionate. I want this thing to be different for all of us. I've been. As promised, we are going to close the show with the track that I mentioned from Death and Company. It's titled Hope. And uh, I think that's the right note to end this session of Corner Table Talk. Deaf Sound, my son Bryce, thank you both for joining me. I'm glad I didn't have to pay you because I could never afford to have you. Blessings, y'all. Hey, I'm really glad to be in conversation. Promised, back here with our segment we call How We Move with uh, Sister Ambassador Shabazz. What's happening? Wow, that was wonderful for a number of reasons. Also to listen to my nephew, your son, interact with a comrade in real time, someone I've watched for a couple of decades discover his own uniqueness in voice, in music, and to then meet yet another brilliant, emotional lyricist was really great. Left brain, right brain. I come from that space and watching that union with this generation feel the freedom and the liberty to enable genius to come through whatever medium is beckoning them. Hats off to you there. Survive. Just to be nominated is an honor, guys. I really appreciate it. No, but it was, this was a new experience for me too. I like being on the other end of the interview. Definitely gets weird. And I remember when it was really happening all the time, when I was just getting interviewed every day, I could see how this could breed narcissism. So it's really nice to be on the other end of it and have to listen, have to be curious, follow the conversation and see what the other person has to offer and what they're trying to bring to the world. It's definitely, it's refreshing for sure. Also, I noticed that you, Paul, got to just sit back and listen and you had to reference your generation a few times. <laughs> Quite a few. I, I said, okay, he said it 12 times. I don't have to repeat it. You would never know by looking at the three of us. So I had to make it clear. But yeah, it was certainly cool to sit back, Ambassador, and just listen to their minds just flow. I felt like they both That's got exactly. comfortable and forgot that we were doing this maybe. And it just turned into a conversation and some free thinking and uh, just love. It was wonderful, but also goes to the fact that we were in a forum that enables one to just indeed speak their mind, explore their mind and not have to really edit any thought process. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And it also duplicated some aspects of my life. When you made the distinction juxtaposed to our generation in childhood, there's always this like little abyss or oasis where new thought had to discover and find out where it landed. I know I was that kid. I was that young person who didn't always beat to the same drummer. And being able to listen or watch Bryce from 10 and 11 and exploring music and a platinum hairdo. You really got to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> but also freedom to explore the uniqueness of oneself without being scolded or judged or assessed. And even if that happened, it doesn't impair to know that's the exploration that young people need in order to get to wherever. 
we need to be at any set point in our lives was just really exciting. I was that kind of person. At this age, I can attest to the fact that even if the road is isolating, that it's really more beneficial to find the confidence following your path, right? So even if you skin your knees, if you get off track, to be able to be where you are and to make sure you find the company of people who support you where you are, trusting that in the ebb and flow of life, you will arrive where you need to, where you need to be. I think in my childhood, when I think of brilliant conversations like the one I just heard, I was younger than them, but it included like Nina Simone, who was in her 30s. Now we just think about this retrospective classic artist, but we're talking about young people at the time. And the last poets, Felipe Luciano, we talk about poets and librettists who weren't really all understood at their given time. People did want to mold them. They did want them to sound a certain way. And they weren't always wealthy in terms of financial currency, but in terms of cultural currency, there was real value. There was staying power. Yeah. And Bryce, you may not know that your auntie is involved in some just incredibly good causes. So she most recently, we've talked about this a little bit, but I just wanted to make you aware, Malcolm X High School in New Jersey, she is working with the youth there, that inner city, some that haven't traveled out of the country, certainly none of them, but not even out of the state, some not even out of their neighborhood. She's working on getting these young folks passports and the excitement that builds with these young kids when she introduces the idea of international travel and speaking with Def about Belize, where Ambassador just came back from and where she's getting ready to go back to. The glee that these young folks, when she introduces the idea of a passport and then tells them where they can go and they call her back in the next meeting, they're like, can I change my destination? Can I go to Italy too? And she said, yeah, you can go anywhere you want. But this is what she's doing, man. She's getting young wow. people passports to travel internationally. It's a beautiful cause. Wow. What a beautiful motivation for these kids, too. It's mental. It's emotional and mental. So even if they don't get on a plane anytime soon, they know they can't. Yeah, it's that limitlessness that you're supposed to feel at a young age. That's exactly right. And in most cities, there are people that represent the demographic of your aspired trip. So you can go to Little Italy. There's Greek town where the... Senegalese gather where there's good Thai food, where you can start practicing your language and getting the cuisine down. There's so many ways to travel before you get on a plane. And that drum, that Belizean drum, Bryce, the ambassador took us right there. Dang, I love that. Hold up. There it is. <laughs> Handmade. There you go. Love that. Wow, that's that. beautiful. Tap that one time so the audience can hear it, Bryce. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Before we spend some Very more money good. on rehearsal, we will see. <laughs> Ambassador, thank you for hanging around and the time that uh, that some light on our conversation. Really appreciate it. 